0: This is the Legacy United Methodist podcast. Happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, we're so very glad you decided to join us for worship on this September Sunday. If you're joining us online, we'll be celebrating communion shortly. Be sure you've got some bread and juice handy so you can join in with us. Today, we are ending our series at the movies. We've been finding God's grace in some of our favorite films from the past couple of years. As Methodists, we understand and we see provenient grace all around us. The grace where God tries to woo us into a relationship with Jesus, into a daily walk with Christ. God can catch our attention in so many different ways. God can catch our attention through people and the inspiring faith in others that makes us say, I want what they have. God can catch us through nature and the power of an incredible sunrise, a sunset, or a night sky. God can catch our attention through circumstances and things working out like we didn't think they were ever going to work out. And God can catch us even through our favorite stories, our favorite music, and our favorite movies. Playing today is The Bad Guys. Released last April, it tells the story of notorious animal criminals based upon a graphic novel series of the same name. You're going to recognize the bad guys because they are the bad guys from all of your childhood stories. They are Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Miss Tarantula, Mr. Shark, and Mr. Piranha. Now, it is very much a heist movie done in the style of the Ocean's movies and even some 70s vibe, as you catch it in the vehicles and the way some of the characters are dressed. In the movie, everyone sees our main characters as the bad guys, so they live into that assumption people make of them. It's the cards they've been dealt, so they're just going to be the bad guys. People assume they are bad, so that is who they will be. We make all kinds of assumptions about people throughout our day. Without ever talking to someone, we look at that person and say, they've got their life together, but this person doesn't. Oh, they look like a great parent, but this person over here is not. They look like a healthy, functioning member of society, but this person is not. Looking at me, you're thinking this person is obviously a track star. No, that is not true. I've got a body built by Nintendo and Mario Kart more than track and field. No, these assumptions we make just based upon looks can shape people and shape people not in a good way. They can pull people away from God's purposes and plans for them. Instead of getting to know somebody, we just make a snap judgment. We don't get to know their story. We don't get to know the person made in the image of God standing or sitting right there in front of us. The fundamental reality is that every single human being ever made, living today, and will live, is made in the image of God. Every single one of us carries something of God with us waiting to be fully unlocked by Jesus so we can be the people God has made us to be. One of my favorite stories in the Bible speaks to this constant struggle in us to evaluate people on their looks instead of on their heart, instead of on their character of who they really are. Samuel was a prophet. He was God's spokesperson in Israel. So he had a lot of power and the respect of the nation. Samuel was tasked to anoint a new king over Israel. God sends Samuel to Jesse's household because... That's where the new king would come from, Jesse's family. Samuel gets to Jesse's house and sees his sons. He immediately sees the oldest, a tall and dark and handsome and muscular man, much like me, one who just looks the part of being the king. (laughs) Of course, that one, that oldest, must be God's choice to be king. God says no. Nope, that's not him. God reminds Samuel Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel goes to the next son, looking a little less like the king, but still kind of fits that mold, but God says, no, keep going. Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons, and none of them are God's choice to be king. Samuel's a little confused at this point. God sent him here to get the king from Jesse's household, and now it doesn't appear to be the case. So Samuel asks Jesse, "Uh, Jesse, you got any other sons hiding somewhere that I don't know about? Jesse says, Well, there's one more, but he's outside, he's tending the sheep, he's taking care of the goats. Jesse, the son's father, didn't even bother to bring the son in from the field because he's the youngest. He's not going to be chosen to be king. In a culture where the oldest always does the thing, the youngest is not going to be God's choice to be king. And yet, the Lord says the youngest of Jesse's family, David, is going to be the king. The youngest, the least likely in a culture where it's the oldest that does everything— the oldest son is not gonna take the lead. The youngest will be the king. So often we judge people based solely on their looks. Even Samuel judges, God's spokesperson in Israel, one of the most religious in the land, one who is the closest to God, one who should know better. Even he judges based on outward appearances. Every single one of us must learn to look beyond the surface, beyond snap judgments to the heart. We must see beyond the surface to see somebody deeply loved and made in the image of God. There is this broad theme throughout Scripture. It's a reality of God's kingdom that turns things upside down. The one that looks the part to lead will not. It's the least likely that will lead. The one who looks the least like the Messiah, the warrior king that people are expecting, the least likely one is going to be the Messiah. Not only that, the Messiah won't be a warrior king like you think, but he's going to suffer and die and rise again for his people, saving not just Israel, but the whole world. Jesus models the upside down nature in his, of the kingdom. While on earth, Jesus gathers a motley crew, the least likely to change the world. He gathers synagogue school dropouts, rebels, Traitors and people of different political persuasions who didn't really care for each other. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? And this motley crew that no one thinks anything of do the things no one could imagine. They preach to huge crowds, seeing people come to Jesus. God does healings through them. They escape prison, survive mobs, and began a movement called the church. You may not realize, but that movement 2,000 years ago still impacts the world today. Your life and my life, we're a part of what they started. What we do from providing basic needs through diapers and wipes to dollars given to helping people find a home who don't have one, who build relationships to kids, students, and adults so they might follow Jesus like we do, all of that matters. All of that makes a difference. God's kingdom is upside down where the unlikely become the most likely to lead to show us how to live. Let's resist the temptation to make snap judgments on people just by the way they look. Let's learn the stories of the people that we're with, get to know someone's actual heart. May we see that God's kingdom is upside down. The unlikely are gonna show us the way to hope, healing and wholeness that we've never seen before. Let's resist the temptation to unfairly judge others, even the face of past behavior. Even when history says they're never going to change, they're going to be stuck that way forever, let's leave room for Jesus. Let's leave room for the Holy Spirit to transform, to change even the most unlikely. It's been happening for 2,000 years. It can still happen today. Now, in our movie, The Bad Guys Execute Another Heist, They're hoping this is the one that will put them on the map. It's going to cement their legacy as the best bad guys ever. But in the middle of the action, one of the bad guys experiences something he never has before. Mr. Wolf had an awakening. He enjoyed being good. He doesn't know what to do with this now. Is it possible that he might enjoy being good more than he enjoys being bad? He has an awakening moment, a stirring in his soul, a potential transformation moment he can choose to ignore or explore. Now, in Methodist lingo, we'd call this justifying grace. Jesus coming into our life in power, and we can choose to ignore it. We can choose to return to our old way of life or go forward, or go forward with Jesus into sanctifying grace, Simply meaning we learn what it means to follow Jesus every day. What does it mean to follow Jesus each moment of every day as we go to work, as we go to school, as we live our lives? This is the journey of faith, pervenient grace, God waking us up to the reality of Jesus through people or circumstances or movies or whatever. Justifying grace, that awakening moment when Jesus comes into our lives and we have a choice to say, yes, I'm going to follow you or nah, I'm going to ignore that and do my own thing and then sanctifying grace, learning what it means every day to invite Jesus into our days and see what he has for us. So where are you? Where are you in this journey today? And is it time to take a step? it time to take that next step to enter into a new grace that God has for you. Awakenings do happen to us. We have moments where Jesus meets us where the Holy Spirit moves in our lives in a powerful way. We can ignore it, Or we can lean into it and explore the depths of what God wants to do in us. Now, we might think of awakenings as only these sudden, dramatic moments in people's lives. But especially when it comes to following Jesus, it can also be a slow burn, a slow build, a slow awakening, a slow decision to follow Jesus over a long period of time. Now the dramatic awakening moments are incredibly dramatic and we remember them because it's like these people that we knew overnight did a 180. They don't even seem like the same people anymore they've chosen to follow Jesus. The most famous dramatic Christian awakening in scripture is Saul's. Saul murdered Christians. Saul wanted nothing more than to bring this movement of people following Jesus to its end. Saul Murdered Christians. You cannot miss this. He was eager. He enjoyed doing this work to arrest followers of the way. That's what we were called first, the followers of Jesus. This is a bit of his story from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. Asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, followers of Jesus, he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. It is a very dramatic awakening of Jesus, and Saul explores and leans into this. Saul becomes Paul, one of the authors of our New Testament, a part of our Bible. He's the one who brings Jesus to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, to the majority of us sitting and watching and worshiping here today it's accurate to say that we are christians two thousand years later do in no small part to paul's awakening his willingness to explore and to significantly alter what he believed and how he lived in the world now some of us have dramatic awakenings to jesus we have dramatic stories where we turned around almost on a dime and that's amazing But by far and away, the most common story of following Jesus today is the slow burn. It's like your 4th of July punk, not the 4th of July teenage punk that lit fireworks off too late in the night and kept you and your dog up and you want to light this teenager on fire because of it. Not that punk. This punk, the sparkler, the one that you light and it takes a slow, quite a bit of time for it to burn down before it finishes. For most of us, awakening to the reality of Jesus is like this sparkler. It's slow, it takes time, for the full reality of what Jesus wants to do for us finally sets in. We don't dramatically decide, but we decide over a long period of time. Now, the disciples who walked with Jesus, they were a slow burn. They traveled with Jesus for three years to see who he really was. First, they awakened to the fact that he was a great teacher. Then they got to see him do all of these miracles and saw him be a wonderful miracle worker. And then finally they got to see he's so much more than that. This Jesus is in fact God, the God who created the universe in the flesh. The book of John tells the story this way. The book of John says you're going to experience a story about God moving into the neighborhood and then tells you it in 20-some chapters. And you see all these different people throughout the book of John. Some awaken to the reality of Jesus, and some deny who Jesus is. Now for us, our slow burn probably started with a friend or a family member who loves Jesus. They invite us to some church thing, so we kick the tires. We try it on. We test faith. We ask questions. We ask all kinds of questions to see if it's true or not. We try prayer. We try groups, we try mission, and over time we decide, you know what? I think this is true. Yes, Jesus is my Lord too, is affecting my life every day. Over time, through trial and testing and experimentation, yes, Jesus is my Lord too, because of what I've practiced, because of what I've seen. Whether a slow burn awakening or a dramatic turn, they both lead us to Jesus, They both lead us to a lifetime of following the one who wants to bring hope, healing, and wholeness to every single one of us. If you haven't yet decided Jesus is your Lord, keep exploring, keep asking questions to see if following Jesus is what you want to be doing. I encourage you to keep trying. Try prayer, try scripture reading, try groups, try mission, experience a taste of the life so many of us have found. Because there is power in simply trying. There is power in just trying something. In our film, the bad guys are finally caught. And what is Mr. Wolf going to do with this awakening of being good? Even in the practice of their deceit and the practice of trying, the bad guys change, and they continue to change throughout the film to enjoy being the good guys. Now, in the life of following Jesus, there are moments of practice of trying when we have doubts, and we're not sure if any of what we do here, what we say here, do we actually believe that or not? That is normal. It is a perfectly human response to have doubts. As some of our greatest heroes of the pillars of the faith over the last 2,000 years, they've had the same questions we've had. John Wesley was one of the founders of the Methodist movement, and at times he wasn't sure if he had faith at all. He felt like he was just going through the motions. He was an ordained and officially approved pastor in the Anglican Church, the Church of England, and even he, an officially ordained pastor, didn't know if he had faith. Wesley had just returned from a disastrous missionary experience here in Georgia, in the United States. He confided to a friend, Peter Bowler, he was going to hang it up. He's done. He's done being a pastor. He's done preaching because he has no faith. Wesley said, I need faith that will give me three things. Peace in the face of death, joy, and victory over sin. But Bowler told him, don't stop preaching. Don't give it up. Don't throw in the towel. He encouraged Wesley to preach faith until you have it. Then once you have faith, keep preaching faith. Preach faith until you have it. Then once you've got it, keep preaching faith. Now, it feels kind of like the Christian version of fake it till you make it, right? But I think there's more to it than that. I think there's more because sometimes practice precedes belief. Sometimes practice comes before belief. It's the trying on of faith that we decide that we do in fact believe. One day, Jesus came upon a large crowd with the disciples in the middle, and he comes to see a father and a son there. The son was possessed by an evil spirit who gave him seizures, and the disciples were unable to help. The father brings the son to Jesus, and the boy immediately goes into a violent convulsion The father says this has been happening for a long time, and the boy has been hurt many times. The father asked Jesus for mercy and asked for help if he can. Then Mark records this What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. This morning, do you believe Jesus can help? Do you believe Jesus can change the hardest heart of the person that you love? Do you believe he can transform your heart? Do you believe that he can transform even uh, and restore broken relationships? Do you believe he can help you break addiction? Do you believe he can find the fire that you once had in following Jesus? Do you believe he can destroy destructive patterns in your life, help you find recovery, and help you find the purpose and meaning and hope that you've been looking for? Do you believe that this morning? the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. There was some part of this father that didn't believe, but there was enough. There was at least this little bit of a hope that just this practice, just by this act of bringing his son to Jesus might do something, could help him, could heal him. And Jesus does heal this son. I feel what this father cries out, and I don't think I'm alone this morning. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I don't think I'm alone in this room this morning or those watching online. I know I'm not alone with the last 2,000 years of Christian faith. Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Too often we believe perfect faith has no doubts, no questions whatsoever. It's just not the case. Faith is messy. We make mistakes following Christ. It's okay. In our film, it is a messy road. All kinds of twists and turns for these bad guys to become good. It is a messy road to following Jesus. We are all stumbling our way toward Christ together. Don't beat yourself up if you don't believe like someone who's got this vast, deep well of faith. Don't beat yourself up if your story doesn't have a dramatic conversion or turn and you're just one of a slow burn. This week, like the bad guys in our movie, like the man who brought his son to Jesus, let us practice our faith even before we believe. May we take one step, whether in prayer or scripture reading or service, to act like we follow Jesus, even if we aren't sure we do yet. Because it's in the practice. It's in the action. It's in the risk. We just might experience an awakening that will change everything forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray as the Father did so long ago. We believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. May we be so bold to practice our faith this week in the face of any doubts we might have, in the face of the fact we might not believe any of this. May we find an awakening in our practice that leads straight to you, the one who wants nothing more than our complete healing and wholeness in this life right now, today. We pray together in the way that Jesus taught his disciples throughout the ages to pray, saying together, Amen